And we pick it up in chapter 50, verse 1, where we read, Then Joseph, after Jacob died, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Forty days one way and seventy total. Almost two months. Death brings a lot of grief for those who are left behind. Many of you, most of you, have dealt with grief of loved ones looking in the sanctuary tonight at the pastors that are gathered here. Anthony, I was at your father's memorial. Fred, I was at your father's bedside shortly before he passed. And so I know what you guys have been through in that experience. And even going to lay your father to rest, Anthony, there in the cemetery in Huntington Beach. We were there. And for me, recently with my mom passing away, this, this passage is so, it's so powerful. Because in the case of my mother passing away on December 29th, I was by her side that morning. I knew it was going to be her last day. The doctors had said she was going to pass. And so I was there in the hospital, Tri-City, next to my mom's side. And I had my arm on her shoulder, and I fell asleep. They had brought in one of those beds that they give family in that situation. And I was kind of propped up like a first-class seat in an airplane. I had my arm on my mom's shoulder the last night or day she was alive. And then in the morning, everything began to happen. And she passed about 10 that morning. I was in the room when she passed. My sister Barbie was in the room, and my nephew Jimmy had just come in the room. And we were talking, and we were just having conversation like people do in those situations. And, of course, my mom had a very strong finish with the Lord. The last couple years of her life was beautiful with Jesus. But the nurse came in and said, your mom's passing right now, based upon the chart, the the heartbeat chart. We all looked at each other. We looked at my mom, and my mom passed. Literally, I lived this text in my own life just less than three months ago. It's still very raw, it's still very powerful, and it's impossible for me in my personal experience not to feel a lot of emotion when I look at this text. My sister was crying, and she said, Joe, well, she told me before that, I've never seen a dead body. And I said to her, I'm sorry, the first dead body you're going to see is mom's, but we're here, and it's the right thing to be by her side. My sister did what we should all do when we watch a loved one pass away. She just started quoting scripture she was in some sort of some kind of shock as a pastor. I've been there by people bedside when they're passing, so I've been in this situation many times, but not the emotion of being the son, like the context here with Joseph, with his father, but for me it was my mother. But I was so proud of my sister because she just kept quoting all this scripture. The nurses were coming in and they, you know, the nurse comes in to officially pronounce the person dead and and my sister just kept saying, no, no weapon fashioned against you. God is love. And, you know, and all these passages that she was quoting, all this scripture. And may we have scripture in our hearts on that day. If we watch a loved one pass right before us, may our hearts be filled with scripture and the promises of God for that moment of watching someone transcend dimensions. And in my own life, I actually bent over and kissed my mom on her forehead after she passed and gave her to the Lord. If you've not lived this experience, if you live long enough, you will live this experience. 
And it's a wonderful thing when everyone involved, the one passing and the one weeping, have relationships with the Lord. It, death has a sting, but we put Jesus between us and the sting. And these emotions are so raw, like the emotions we're all feeling right now, we're all feeling incredibly raw emotions all over the place from the youngest to the oldest people on the planet right now. Whether we're French, Algerian, Russian, or Vietnamese, we're feeling tremendous emotions, all the generations sharing the planet right now. This is an emotion of fear that most of us are sharing, an uncertainty of anxiety. But the emotion here for Joseph is the emotion of sorrow, of the passing of a loved one. But for us with faith in Jesus Christ, and particularly the bonus of the person passing, obviously he has faith in Jesus Christ, which Jacob would have in a shadow of things to come, we put Jesus between us and that blow. To put Jesus between us and that passing. And we know that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and we know that he's a man of sorrows, and he's with us. I am so grateful for the days like that that I had with my sister, with our mom passing, that Jesus is in the room with us. He doesn't just see us. He's invited to be in the room, and he's over us, even as he is this night, as we invite him into our hearts, into our lives, into our homes, into our fears, our anxieties, our sorrows, our heartaches, our uncertainties. We want Jesus in the room all the time, and we want Jesus welcome to be in the room all the time, and we want the confirmation of his presence in the room of passing. For he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, and he comes to bring the sheep to himself. Now we read on in verse 4. Now, when the days of his mourning, Jacob's mourning, were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If I now have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, that would be Israel, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he's made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen, there in Egypt. And there they left the land of Goshen, and there they went up with both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. So it's a large funeral procession. Verse 10, Then they came to the threatening floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father, and when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore his name was called Abel Mizriam, which is beyond the Jordan. Its name was called Abel Mizriam, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. Again, in my own life, in recent months after my mom passed, we had to decide whether or not we were going to bury my mom immediately or wait because my mom had requested to be buried in Cleveland, Ohio, where she is from, where also I was born, my brother was born, and my sister was born. 
Cleveland, Ohio was always a base when I was a kid with my dad being a military family, so we'd always end up back at Cleveland when dad was deployed somewhere. We'd visit the relatives all the time in Cleveland. Thus, when I grew up, I always cheered for the Cleveland Indians and the Cleveland Browns. And so that's, that's part of the background there. Military kids like to latch on to something. For me, it was Cleveland. I've been back to Cleveland, but not for a long time. We have relatives. My godparents live in Cleveland. And my mom would go back to Cleveland regularly every year, even up until the last year of her life, to visit all of her friends that she went to school with growing up in high school there at Beaumont School for Girls in the West Shaker Heights, Cleveland suburb. And when my mom passed, we knew she wanted to be buried in Cleveland, and there was a grave already selected for her, just like Abraham. So again, I've lived this passage. And as we discuss burying my mother, of course, on this day, March 17th, I'm very happy that we buried my mom in January quickly because the people in Ohio want us to wait till it was spring, till nicer weather. And I was like, I just don't feel good about that. And it's our call, so we're going to go for this, and we're going to fly back. So my brother, my sister, and I all, for the first time, were together in a long time. And we flew back to Cleveland together with my mom's remains to lay my mom to rest at the cemetery there in Cleveland. And the day we laid her to rest, it was snowing. It was stick brown. It was Cleveland. I mean, it's just like everything you ever picture when you see Cleveland. I was prepared for the things of the day, being a pastor and a minister and having walked through this valley with many people under many different circumstances. But again, it's me personally and my mom. But as we approached the cemetery, I realized, and it hit me so profoundly, that as we had relatives meeting us there, my cousin Katie, who'd flown up from Florida, blind, my blind cousin Katie, she was there, and my godmother. So I suddenly realized I was walking into a situation in the waiting room of the mortuary that everyone was there. They weren't just burying my mom. They were visiting the same place where they buried other loved ones before then. And it just like, wow, like it hit me in a major way. This, you know, I'm, I'm pouring my mom's remains in an urn while I'm thinking about the people outside this private room where I'm doing this and the emotion that they're dealing with. So we drive, we follow the guy, and we drive to the cemetery where we're going to lay my mom to rest to the plot within the cemetery. And there I am with about 15 people, and I'm looking at these people, and I realize they buried a husband. 40 years ago when they were young in the same spot. They buried their mother here 40 years ago when they were a child in this same spot. They've been here before, and now they're laying to rest another family member because the plot allows six people. And of course, I shared with, from the pulpit recently, when we were following the, the cemetery guide, my sister said, this is where I want to be buried. Because she found out there's only five people buried. You can bury six. So she's like, I want to be buried with mom, her brother, and her sister, and her grandmother. And I want to be buried there. And there was a house, uh, a friend of the family that was like a housemaid, evidently, that was buried with them. They loved her like a daughter. And she was buried there too. And it makes me think of this story. Because they're not just burying Jacob somewhere in Israel. They're burying Jacob where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Leah are buried. This is holy ground for laying people to rest that had godly lives and are the most incredible, important people that have ever lived in human history. Because Abraham's a father of faith, Isaac's a son of promise, and Jacob is being buried with his grandfather and his father, and these are the patriarchs of the Bible. And so as this procession went up from Egypt to bury Jacob, for the 12 sons, I don't, 
Well, obviously, we're going to know shortly what they were thinking, like, is Joseph going to get back with us for what we did to him? But the emotion, I just think how raw the emotion had to be, what Joseph thought when he's at the cave of Machpelah. And, of course, we know the first crying in the Bible is Abraham weeping, burying his wife, Sarah, at this cave at Machpelah. Not only is it a holy place, it's a place of sorrow, but it is also a place of faith. So there are places we can go where we've buried people, where we're reminded of God's faithfulness, and it might be a place of sorrow, but it's still a place of faith. Because faith triumphs through and over and above the sorrow. Because perfect love is greater than the sorrow of the human experience. And so I just think of this journey. You know, and if you talk about being inconvenienced, you know, like when someone passes away, there's a lot to do. You've got to get a death certificate. You've got to plan for their burial. You've got to do all these things legally. You've got to close bank accounts. You've got to close bills. If there's automatic deductions, if there's car payments, there's a lot of stuff you've got to do. And there may be money for it. There may not be money for it. It's a lot you got to do. There's so much emotion happening. And think of Joseph. He had his life. He had his wife, his kids, taking care of the family. Pop passes away. He's sobbing. And he's got to get up and go to Egypt. This is months. This was months of taking care of the family after the family member's gone that had asked him to do it. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe your parents will ask you to do the same for them. And maybe you have. Maybe you will ask your children in future generations to do this for you. Maybe your children's children will do it for your children, for them, because there's nothing new under the sun. This just reminds me that generations come and go. And each we've talked about going through Genesis, how each generation has their famine, right? Abraham had a famine. Isaac had a famine. Jacob had a famine. They all had a famine. We have a famine. We're in our famine now. But you know, there's life after a famine, right? Because this is years after the seven years of famine. So life obviously went on for all of them. And life goes on for us. And each generation has their opportunity. Joseph's not 17. He's middle-aged. And he's burying his elderly father. There's grandkids back in Goshen that didn't make the trip. This is the human experience. As we end the book of Genesis tonight, this is how it goes. One generation after another, they live they have famines, they live, they laugh, they have joy, they live life, and then, then they're buried by the generations coming after them. Recently, Brian Broderson, as everything's been unfolding over the last few days, Brian Broderson had a, a post where he quoted C.S. Lewis, and I want to read that quote to you right now. At the time, C.S. Lewis, if you don't know, he course wrote the... Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Good friends with J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and all that. They both came out of World War I and just the cataclysmic elements of World War I, even as we're facing global cataclysmic elements with this contagion. And he went forward in a post-nuclear war world after World War II with the Iron Curtain. And in the 50s and 60s, people were very terrified of nuclear disasters. And Brian Broderson posted this quote from C.S. Lewis 
about getting nuked. Now, if you remember the 80s, the morning after, uh, the, or is it the day after tomorrow, whatever it was, you know, where they, we get nuked by the Russians and they nuke us. It just, everyone watched it. It was the most watched TV movie ever in the 80s when they showed it. I remember watching it at my dad's house. So this is the quote of C.S. Lewis about facing fear in your journey and your famine in your timeline. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading. I was reading more in peace today. I'm almost done. Twelfth book, almost there. Listening to music. Well, I was playing the DJ board before service. You'll see that. You saw that. Bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint. I don't recommend that. <laughs> and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. In other words, we need to live life. We need to enjoy life in the moment. We need to enjoy every part of the journey the good, the bad, the ugly, as Ecclesiastes 3. Interestingly enough, my brother read Ecclesiastes 3 at my mom's funeral. Alex, you were there. Anthony, you were there. Remember, my brother got out there. He was pretty noble. He put on his glasses. He looked pretty, I was like, look at Phil. Yeah, it's like he did a good job with it. Yeah, he did a good job. But there's a time and purpose for everything under heaven. And we can't stop living. Playing the DJ board tonight, I haven't played it for weeks because I've been a heavy heart in mourning. Normally I walk and play praise music and really good Christian music and I dance around the neighborhood and there goes the dancing pastor. That's what everyone thinks with his dogs. I haven't been dancing for weeks. You know, I just haven't. I just, you know, it's been a, a sobering, solemn time. And that's okay. Because we're not to make mirth when it's a time of, you know, there's no mirth when you're burying Jacob at the cave of Machpelah. But you still have to enjoy the journey. You still need to enjoy everything God has for you. You need to enjoy the relationship with the Lord. You need to enjoy the morning devotions with the Lord. You need, to, you need to hear his voice when you're praying. You need to write in your journal, like even if it's just two lines, like it's been for me in recent days. You need to, you need to, you need to press in. Exodus 26, the tabernacle, I'm like, and then there's the widgets and the sockets. And there's seven of these and 10 of those and 40 of those. I'm like, well, God, you're in the details. I just got to remember that you're in the details of everything. If you write one or two lines in your devotions these days, because it's a heavy time, write one or two lines that mean something that you're writing as a result of reading God's word. And live life. We're not going to hunker down in bunkers and wait for the end of the world. We do need to be smart, obviously, in this situation with the contagion. It's a very dangerous virus. It's a deadly virus, and it's powerful, and it's, it's unseen, and we're still learning a lot about it. So we need to be wise. But perfect love casts out all fear, so we need to have a balance of faith with wisdom in these things. And we need to live life. In the coming weeks, we're going to be in our houses, like David Downs in Italy has been for over a month. Like Matt Erickson, the former deacon, has been for almost two months now with no school. He's a school teacher in Vietnam, there in Hanoi. 
we're probably not going to have normal school for a long time. We're going to see things and hear about things in the coming days that might frighten us even more than the things that have happened have frightened us. But we're not going to be like frightened sheep waiting for an atomic bomb to blow us up. We're going to, we're going to use this time to draw near to the Lord. I saw a post from Sarah Yardley in England today at, on the beach of Polzeth. I've been there. Hector, I believe you've been to Polzeth too. And it's beautiful. That coastline is beautiful. And she said, there's so much time suddenly now on my calendar, right? Your day planner just got cleared out. It got wiped. Your whiteboard just got wiped. And there's time for the Lord. There's time to enjoy relationships you otherwise might not have enjoyed. There's opportunity for more time with your spouse to build that relationship, more time with your children, your grandchildren. I've been buying, trying to buy fresh produce the last couple mornings and take it over to Jake and Leah and see the grandkids. Grandpa showed up with the, uh, we didn't have the first choice chips we wanted to bring Zippy, but we had the second choice, or the Chief Puffs from Sprouts. She didn't need to know that Sprouts was half empty of food. The Chief Puffs were there. But we got to live our life. And, you know, when she runs up, Papa, and you got the Chief Puffs, and she's happy to have them, then you got to enjoy that. I brought them donuts the day before. But we have to enjoy our life. We have to enjoy Jesus. We have to love people. And, we have to be settled. Because there's an end of our generation. And at this cave of Machpelah, there's people who are buried from previous generations who are heroes of the faith. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, now Jacob. They're all in Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. They all had famines. They all lived their life. They loved, they laughed, they cried, they wept, and they, they had their journeys, and I believe they enjoyed their journeys. And they lived a lot longer than us, too. This memorial march to the cave of Machpelah is a reminder that this too will pass and our life will eventually pass. And so we are told to be anxious to nothing for nothing but through prayer and supplication make our request, let our request be made known to God. And the peace that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, the emotion of bearing a father and carrying that emotion for two months and transporting him from one country to another, one border to another, boundary to another, to lay him to rest. And, you know, Joseph always wept, so I'm sure he wept on the journey quite a bit. But in the end, they put Jacob's body in the cave of Machpelah. They said their last things like people do. And instead of getting their cars and driving away and going to lunch at the Shaker Heights Country Club or whatever we did, they get in their carts and they head back for Egypt with their figs, and whatever else they got that they're eating. It's life. Don't miss it. And don't hunker down in the bunker. But just know the season. Let the Lord be over the season. And just know every generation has their timeline. And it runs its course. Now, after his decease, Joseph's brothers were very concerned that somehow he'd get back, with them, back at him. So we read, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually pay us offer the evil that we did to him. So they sent messages to Joseph saying, before father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went in and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is to this day, to, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Well, here we are at that passage I mentioned on Saturday. This was our topical verse. I mentioned on Saturday that this verse spoke to me in 1987 when I was seeking the Lord before I'd given my life to the Lord. And it spoke to me that things can work together for good that seem like they're bad or evil. In my case, it was like, I've been a bad person, but God can redeem me and use me. So that's how I took this passage. But as we look at it, it is a, a reminder that all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to, their, to his purpose. Joseph's faith, from the time his brothers betrayed him and sold him to slavery at 17, to the time Potiphar's wife lied about him and had him thrown in prison with the accusation of a major felony attempted rape, to being forgotten by the butler for two years, to becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt, he forgave. And when he was reconciled to his brothers, it was very clear that he forgave. And it's really important that we are people of forgiving. We talk about the three great equities, um, purity being, being one of them, suffering being another, and forgiveness. If you let God work those things in your life, you'll have depth of character and you'll reflect Christ in a wonderful, glorious way to the people around you in your everyday world. Joseph was that kind of person. He, was, he had many sufferings and trials, and the Lord brought him through them all. And uh, he obviously was a man of purity because he resisted Potiphar's wife. His integrity is on the record for us. He actually literally fled. He fled youthful lust, which we all should do. And then here we see he's a forgiving person, and we see his forgiveness demonstrated to his brothers. They did, in fact, bow down to him, didn't they? Genesis 37 comes to pass the dream that they'd bow down. Yet again, they bow down. and But it's amazing that in their bowing down, what is he doing? He weeps again. Joseph cries one more time. He cries one more time. When his brother sent the message, please forgive us, he cries one more time. He cried when he buried his dad, when his dad passed away, and he cries one more time because he's just like, wow. Like He's just like, he cried so many times in his timeline that we've been reading about in this book over so many different things. Such a tender heart. He, he wore his heart on uh, his sleeve, as they say. A tender heart. He cried for them because they were still crippled by fear because of the evil they had done to him. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand grace. And sometimes it's hard for us to apply grace properly to our lives. Nonetheless, it's important that we understand that where sin abound, grace abounds all the more. For as in the first Adam all sin and die, in the second Adam, all are brought to life through faith in Jesus Christ. His grace has never been a license to sin, but we know we fail every day in different ways. And we're just so grateful that we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, and find mercy and forgiveness. For he's our great high priest who ever lives and intercedes for us, and nothing that happens to us is not relatable to him as our great high priest. As Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, we might be surprised by our failures, but God is never surprised by our failures. And we might be let down by our failures, but we never let God down by our failures. And that's important to understand all the time, but even in a time like this, what we're going through personally, nationally, globally, unprecedented in human history. This day, March 17th, 2020. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. 
for I'm in the place of God, for am I in the place of God? And so here yet again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, a consistent word throughout the Bible. Fear not, do not be afraid. And there are things that would make us afraid, and the brothers were afraid. They were afraid. Now, they weren't afraid of a pandemic, but they were afraid. They were afraid of losing their food supply. They were afraid of losing their freedom. So I think we can relate to that. They're afraid of an unknown future. We can relate to that. But we can look at any man and say, are they in the place of God? No. No. They're men that lead or women that lead, whether it's Merkel, Trump, or Putin. They're people. Like Joseph, they might be, some leaders are better than other leaders. Are they in the place of God? No. If a God leader says, don't fear How much more should we just hear the Holy Spirit say to us, do not fear. Whatever seems like it's got a bad thing, God's going to use for a good thing. And we need to believe and should believe that what's going on, though we don't understand it, we come, we don't understand, we fall back on what we do understand, that God is in control and God is on the throne. Now, we know a lot about the last days and the end times, and we know there's going to be pestilence and men's hearts will fail them from anxiety. Certainly, you could look at events and go like, wow, is this it? And maybe it is. But you know, a lot of people thought World War I was the end of the world, and World War II, and the nuclear bomb, and all, like, we don't know. But we don't want men's hearts to fail us who follow Jesus Christ. We don't want women's hearts failing them who trust in Jesus Christ. He'll keep the imperfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because they trust in thee. So I don't need a, a politician to tell me fear not, nor do you. Even a good godly politician like Joseph, fear not. Because man can only do so much, but it's our Father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's our Father through the Holy Spirit speaking through the psalmist that said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread in the gates of the city. It's Jesus who told us in the Lord's Prayer to seek first the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is in heaven, and then give us our bread, this daily bread. He taught us to look to him for daily dependency, and we might extend dependency out farther than the daily, but he might reduce us to daily if that's what he needs to do to make us stronger in faith and greater in our convictions of faith with him. No, no man is in the place of God. God alone is God. He is the Lord and there is no other. And he alone ultimately is a provider. The best leader is one who's led by the Lord. And we want to be led by the Lord, that we can lead others to the Lord. That's my goal as a husband. That's my goal as a pastor. As he reflected on the famine that brought about these things and how he was thrust into a bad place, he said that you, you did this, and yeah, it was, you did it for evil, and there is evil. There's no denying that. There's evil in the world. Viruses are evil. Jeremy Foster, our, the former science teacher, and well, he could still teach science, and former pastor here, he said when you look at a virus under a microscope, they're ugly. Healthy cells look pretty. Viruses look very ugly. You can literally see the origin of, like, the effects of sin in a virus. You look at the pictures of the coronavirus, it's It's ugly. It doesn't look like order and design, like how God made the universe. It's skewed from the fall. It's evil. But we are the people who believe that God will bring good things from all things. 
And we are the people who name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior that God will bring about the saving of many people alive. I saw that Greg Laurie had almost a quarter million people watching his live stream the other night. That is incredible. He was planning for the Boise Crusade, which, of course, you know, I don't know if it's officially canceled, but it's highly unlikely anyone's going to Boise in the next few months to do a crusade. But, you know, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So Greg Lloyd's planning the crusade in Boise. And what do you have? He's reaching a quarter million people through live stream on Sunday. You see, all things work together for good. Garrett Beeler booked the stadium over there in Irvine for Easter sunrise service with Ryzen City Church. And I was, I was like, yeah, Garrett Beeler. You know, like, I was excited for him. Like actually commenting on his Instagram. I was like, dude, it's awesome. And, I, and I've been praying for it. Well, I don't think they're doing Easter in that stadium. That's the biggest step of faith Garrett Beeler's probably ever taken as a church is to do an Easter sunrise service at a major stadium. Cost, people, all that stuff. Well, what did Garrett Beeler do Sunday? He did drive through church. He had people pull up in their cars and he taught like at a, you know, a diner back in the 50s or, or a movie, you know, a drive-in movie back in the 70s. All things work together for good. That little virus, it's going to take away the sunrise service for Garrett Beeler and Vision City Church. But that little virus is going to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit for good through the ministry that Garrett Beeler has and the ministry that each of us has when we keep our eyes on Jesus and have our faith and trust in him. Because all things work together for good to those who love God. And there's always a bigger picture. So as Joseph said, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God's going to use it for good. Who knows what he's going to do tonight, tomorrow? Who knows what he's doing? It's a timeout for planet Earth. It's more than a timeout. It's like a, I'd say like a rain delay, but it's not even, it's just, it's, it's stop. God says be still and know I'm God, and he just stopped the whole planet, pretty much. And everybody's thinking, it's like that Star Wars scene where the guy says to the other guys, I think I need to go home and rethink my life. And I think we're all going home and settling in our homes to rethink our life. That's just the way it is on March 17, 2020, in the year of our Lord. He's called it. This is our generation. We didn't see World War I. My dad kind of saw World War II, so some people are still alive that saw that. This is the time out for the generation, the entire generations on this planet. And finally, we close it out looking at verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knee. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And we know when the children of Egypt left Egypt, they took his bones to the promised land. Which brings us to the final closing tonight. Joseph is in the Hebrews Hall of Faith for his faith in speaking of his bones being buried in the promised land. 
as he died in a faraway land, he knew that God's promises were faithful and true for a future generation that he himself would not yet see. And he said, bury me. Take my bones when you go. And they did. It's important that we always see the future for the next generation. It's very important that we always see the future for the next generation. I could have posted on Instagram any number of 50 headlines that would scare the daylights out of anybody if I want to help people understand what's really going on right now. Instead, I stayed up between midnight and 2 in the morning, put together a home movie of me, my, my grandparents, or my dad and Grandpa Bill, my father-in-law, and the grandkids, and even Fitz, the Cavalier King Charles, our dog. And I put a happy song out there. Because I want to remind everybody today that God's thoughts for us are not thoughts of evil, but good thoughts and thoughts of peace to give us a future and a hope. Not just those of us who are older and afraid of this virus and its fatality, fatality rate on older people, including people my age, but just to see the hope of the future of my grandkids, to seem excited that I brought them sprouts, cheese puffs today, and I brought them donuts yesterday. See, see Lee excited I brought home, brought some organic vegetables for her, an artichoke. She's psyching. She's stoked. A future and a hope for every generation. So when you go to bed tonight and in the coming weeks and months, just go to bed in peace with faith and knowing that there's a, a hope for us, always a hope that's an anger to the soul for us, the generation in front of us, in quarantine, my father, my father-in-law, that we can't even go visit, for us in our home, for my kids in different parts of the country, my grandkids, there's a future and a hope. And don't ever forget that because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.